Father, we're so grateful for your blessings of grace and mercy and forgiveness. We uh, just stand in awe of um, your grace toward us. And Lord, thank you for all the people, your people that you have assembled here um, to worship you. And uh, thank you for the way you have grown us together. And uh, we just pray continue to, to pour your blessings out on us to glorify yourself and um, to build your church. And Lord, we just trust you and uh, pray that you'd help us to trust you more for everything, all of our sustenance and uh, provisions. And um, we just thank you for uh, the privilege to speak to you and to come to you in prayer. And through Jesus, we know that um, we can do that. And so we lift up to you the requests that have been made. We pray um, you give us wisdom to know uh, what's best for dad, how to take care of him best. And um, um, we pray also for my Mac and that you would uh, help her in the, the surgery she has to have and so forth, that you just just uh, take care of her and give her healing. And, and um, uh, G-Mom as well, as she's having to have some help um, taking care of her. And just a lot of folks um, that have a lot of needs and we Pray for Randy and the test that they would be helpful and fruitful in determining how to take care of him and um, hopefully get him well. Um, for Karen's friend who's sick with cancer, we just pray for your uh, blessings upon her and that you would give her eyes to see and hear the truth of the gospel. Um, and if she's ever heard the gospel before, that it would just um, um, bring her to life and I pray that um, you would bless all those that we know and love who are lost and around us, our family especially, don't know Christ, that you would bring them to know him. And um, Lord, pray you'd help us to have wisdom as we try to study our confession, not so we know history better, but so that um, we can learn about you more and see why we believe the things we believe from the, from the scriptures. And um, just help solidify our faith and grow our faith. Um, that's really why we want to study and learn, um, not so that we can win arguments, but that we might just have more faith in Jesus and, um, Lord, that we can worship you more in spirit and truth. And, um, Lord, I pray if I left anything out, um, you've heard the requests and you know all things. And I pray that um, you just bless according to your will and give us. Uh, faith to see that in Jesus name. Amen. Well, um, last week, I don't remember who all was here and who wasn't, but we started chapter 10, which is effectual call and, um, effectual calling. And I'll just read through section one. I think that's kind of all we did. I might've covered section two a little bit, but I want to try to get to the last two sections. But just as a reminder to see where we are here, chapter 10, section 1. In God's appointed and acceptable time, he is pleased to call effectually um, by his word and spirit those he predestined to life. He calls them out of their natural state of sin and death to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ. He enlightens their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God. He takes away their heart of stone and gives them a heart of flesh. He renews their wills and by his almighty power turns them to good and effectually draws them to Christ. 
yet he does all this in such a way that they come completely freely since they are made willingly by his grace. I love language that just does nothing but give God credit for salvation of his people. I mean, and I love that these men who wrote this, that's what they were making such a great effort to do is to point out that salvation is of the Lord, as the Bible says, right? And so we talked about that, the difference in effectual call and general call. You know, the general call of the gospel goes out to the whole world. Every creature, we preach the gospel to everybody that we can, and the gospel needs to be preached to everybody that will listen, and even maybe those who won't. But then God, by his spirit and through his word, effectually, inwardly, somehow does these things by his grace, bringing sinners out of a state of death into a state of grace, um, enlightens our minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God. And that's what he has done for all of his people and will do. And that's what is meant by effectual call. And he goes on in section two, this effectual call flows from God's free and special grace alone, not from anything at all foreseen in those called. So we talked about the fact that a lot of people try to turn election and predestination um, into God looking down through the corridors of time and seeing, okay, this person will choose me, that person will choose me, therefore I decide to predestine them. And which really is silly because it changes the whole meaning of the word predestination and election. And not only that, but it means God's doing something based on us. Or, um, as somebody pointed out, he's learning something. Um, and the fact is, uh, it really doesn't change anything um, if you're elected, then you're elected and you're predestined and you're going, it's going to happen. Um, but we also know that this is how the Bible points out God does what he does. Um, let's see, did I finish reading that? Uh, I forgot, not from anything foreseen them called. Neither does the call arise from any power or action on their part. Um, again, this is, and we'll see this some more in a minute, this is, uh, uh, this is dealing with uh, the Catholic Church at this time, which taught a prevenient grace that people had enough grace built into them or given to them by God that they can on their own now either decide or not decide whether to follow or believe God or, and trust Christ. And so, um, or a little bit of, you know, somebody said, well, God's done his part. Now you got to do your part. That's kind of what the teaching they were again, up against uh, Catholicism and uh, at least a semi-Pelagianism, <clears throat> which is still very prevalent today, by the way. Um, in a lot of Baptist churches, people believe that God's done his part now. It's up to us to do our part. I mean, I've had that, I've told y'all, I've had that told to me by members of Baptist churches. Um, so this is dealing with that. Um, no, they are totally passive in it. Now, you say, well, it just said they come willingly. Yeah, they do when they're made willing, right? But it's of their own free will, if you want to say it that way, that they come willingly. But amazing, it's amazing that God does this great work and um and you know at the time you get saved you might very well think i did something i did some stuff but as you study the scripture and that's why we're trying to teach this so diligently you understand that um uh, we brag or boast about nothing except christ and his him crucified because that's where our that's where our hope is and so they are dead in sins and trespasses until they are made alive and renewed by the Holy Spirit. We talked about the idea of regeneration, right? Regeneration has to happen uh, before um, there's an order of salvation. 
And this regeneration has to happen or else you're dead. Right? This is the whole thing Nicodemus was so confounded about. How can a man, does he have to enter his mother's womb a second time? And Jesus said, no, uh, I, I can't believe you're a teacher of Israel and don't know these things, but um, the Spirit blows where it wants to. But a man must be born again. The only way to be born again is to be regenerated, brought to life from death. There's no way that the human who is dead can bring himself to life spiritually, right? So by this, they are enabled to answer his call and embrace the grace offered and conveyed in it. And the response is enabled by a power that is no less than that which raised Christ from the dead. So again, they're trying to point out, hey, kind of like the sermon from Sunday. Well, who can be saved? Well, nobody by the human power and ability but with God all things are possible and the same power that raised this is an awesome thought the same amount of power the same power that raised Christ from the dead is what raised us from death to life and again I mean these things yeah they crush your they crush your flesh and your desire to brag and boast or think that you did something but it gives you so much hope and comfort and um, excitement but look what he did. He enabled me by the same power that raised Christ from the dead to believe. That's an amazing thing. That God loves me so much that he gave this much power to raise me from my spiritual death to life. Right? So I think that's a, it's a wonderful and glorious thing. But any questions about that or any comments after we talked about it last week and again kind of went over it? Everybody understand what um, what's meant by effectual calling? Because then it then it starts getting into a couple of things that are very difficult. And you may have never thought about this. More than likely you have. If you've ever been a pastor, you've had to deal with it. If you've ever done funerals, you have to deal with it. But this is how our forefathers dealt with it. Elect infants dying in infancy are regenerated and saved by Christ through the Spirit, who works when and where and how he pleases. And the same is true of every elect person who is incapable of being outwardly called by the ministry of the Word. Now, do you understand what that second sentence is talking about? The first sentence is obvious, right? Infants dying in infancy. Does it mean they can't? The general call doesn't pull them. Well, have a physical or mental disability. Yeah, that's more specific. It's, it, it's dealing with uh, people who are, yeah, you know, what we would say, mentally incapacitated, um, deaf. Um, there, there was at a time uh, people who believed if you can't hear, then you can't be saved because by the hearing of the word comes faith. And so that was quickly squashed. But there was a, a movement in church history where people were just. If you're, if you're deaf, man, you can't hear. Too bad. And that's an awful thing. <laughs> but, you know, uh, you can hear the word spiritually without physically hearing it, right? You can read it and, and hear because the Spirit can do what it does in us. But So what they're doing here is because people say, well, if you've got to be predestined, elected, and called effectually to be saved then what about babies that die or what about that um, mentally uh, handicapped person that can never that doesn't even know they're on the earth so and that's a that's a tough thing I mean like I said I've I've been given that I was given that 
early in my ministry when I, you know, I had to preach a funeral of a six-month-old. When I had a six-month-old. And that, I was asked that. Is my baby in heaven? And um, those are tough questions. And at that time, I had absolutely no idea how to answer that. I was scared to death about that question. I mean, I was, this was 30 years ago. And I answered the best I could. I have no idea what I said. But um, the truth is the scripture don't directly give us an answer. You can't, I can't say, well, just turn to Psalm so-and-so and you'll see that God saves all babies. So what our forefathers did was said, okay, first of all, we're going to hang on to this. The elect of God are saved. So any infants who are elect and die in infancy, God will save them somehow through regenerating them and saving them through Christ. Now, again, these are, uh, I go back to Deuteronomy, the things that have been revealed have been given to us uh, for our um, ability to, us and our sons to obey the law. The secret things belong to the Lord, okay? But what we do believe is that if, if there's an elect person, they're going to be saved. Now, we can't be hyper-Calvinistic and say, oh, well, good, then everybody God's chosen will be saved, so let's just, don't worry about it. It's going to take care of itself. No, because again, I think I said this last week, God not only ordered, ordained um, uh, the message and the, the concept of salvation and how it works, he also ordained the means to get there. And the means to get there is through the preaching of the word. <clears throat> so we can't just sit around and... and Say, because what, what's what is it? Kesara, Sarah. Hey, it's what it will be, will be. God's determined it. I'm not worried about it. We can't do that because we have to preach the gospel. Without the gospel, people aren't saved. And we can't stop believing that. So if your theology teaches you to stop believing that, that's not good theology. And it's not Reformed theology either, by the way. So again, a lot of people lay that charge to us. It's not true. I've been called that. I've been called a hyper-Calvinist. People don't know what I teach and preach and what I believe, but they'll call me that because I believe in election and predestination. But I also believe in preaching the gospel, and without the gospel, nobody's saved. So again, I can't, uh, I don't have to defend God and what he said and what he does. I'm just I'm supposed to preach what he does. So this idea, and I think I read somewhere at the time this, um, at the time this was written, um, what did I see? Something like um, 33% of children died before they were 15. So you can imagine there was a lot of this going on. There's a lot of questions about what about my baby? I mean, what about my child? Um, and, you know, then we've come up with all kinds of things like ages of accountability. And we've decided that um, we, we've come up with all this stuff rather than just saying this right here. Hey, you know what? that those who are elect in God will be saved. And how he does it, I don't know, but it will happen. And it will happen the same way it happens for us, but how God does that, I don't know. Now, also, I think it's right and good, and this is what I've told parents before. Um, hey, you just have to trust in the God who does good and who's right, and who does right and is good. And... That's all I can say because um, God is a God of grace and mercy. And, um, and he's a real God of justice. And I think that's what we struggle with. We've equated justice with fairness, right? Well, that don't look fair to me. 
and, and, and God is just, and we don't really understand real justice. So he's going to do what is just and right. Now, again, I'm not going to, and when I've had to deal with this, I try to give grieving parents as much hope as I can without, um, what does the Bible say, without going above what, beyond what is written. Because I don't have the right to do, I don't have the right to do that at all. And I've heard people do that. I've heard people say all babies go to heaven. I've heard people say all dogs go to heaven. But um, the problem with that argument is then that makes makes a justification for abortion. Well, if all babies go to heaven, right? Then it's better to abort all babies because they immediately go to heaven. Right. Well, and see, there's also all that and the idea that babies are innocent until a certain age. Same thing. Wouldn't it be good just to hope your baby died before they weren't innocent? At least we know they're going to heaven, and, and we can't believe that. So we got to believe. No, nobody's innocent. Everybody has to be saved, and God will save his people, even when those people are infants, and even when those people aren't capable of doing the things that we look at and say, now he just did the right thing, and now he's saved, or whatever. The thing, the thing is that, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's scripture saying that, uh, that even in the womb, uh, uh, that David uh, felt like that uh, he was, Center from, yeah. from the womb. Went astray so from the womb. The situation is that it's not, uh, that's, that's not biblical. Yeah, the idea, the, yeah, that's right. The idea that everybody's innocent is not biblical. Right. Absolutely. Because in sin, in sin we were conceived and in sin we were brought forth. So, from the womb spewing lies. Yeah. And so, you but want he, to see depravity? Put two kids, in the, two infants in the floor with one toy. Right. You'll see depravity. <laughs> Right. And, you know, the last time I um, preached a funeral services like this, it was actually for an un, a, a preborn child that died. And um, I tried to preach this way the best I could. And it's very difficult, I'm telling you. It's very difficult. And um, I did the best I could to present this truth and that God, that God does what is right and good. And, um, and I talked about depravity I didn't use those words but sin from the womb and um, I had some people that were very upset about that <laughs> like the granddaddy of it if it's going to be grace it's, it's going to be grace so that's right basically all you can do is uh, you know all you can do is offer prayer and that's right that. yeah yeah and that's what I did I just tried the best I could to present the gospel and and you know, it was told to me later that um, one of the grandparents of the kids said, of the baby said, "Well, that, that preacher wasn't right. That baby didn't have no sin." And um, and I was telling one of my friends about it. I said, "Man, I said I, I understand their thinking." And my friend said, "Well, then why did the baby die if it didn't have any sin?" I'm like, well, I, I didn't think about that, but that's true. <laughs> and I wouldn't have said that to the. I wouldn't have said that at the time, but. Um, that's true. I mean, the wages of sin is death. So the only reason anybody dies is that they're sinful. But again, the hope, I think we've just gotten, we've, we've gotten so mixed up that thinking the hope is what we do rather than what God does through Christ. And when you can learn to trust God doing right through Christ, and, and now I'm standing here as a, as a father of four children, never had to go through a miscarriage. I've never lost my children, praise the Lord, and I hope I don't before I'm out of here. But, I mean, we don't know what's coming. I, I understand that I'm saying that from that perspective. 
but I but I think that this is way better hope that you know what a God who's always done right is going to keep doing right, and I'm trusting that um, this is the same for everybody. You know, think about Max. Y'all knew Max, um, my cousin that was um, born Down syndrome. I mean, I just believe with all my heart that he was saved. Um, heck, he, if going to church counts, he went to church more than anybody I ever knew. And um, that his whole 70 years of life almost uh, with Down syndrome, that they told him he had never lived past 13. And he lived till he's like 70. Um, but I trust that. And I'm not going to trust anything different. And I would, I would trust that about my own children. Um, I have to believe that. Karen had a child that died at five days old, and I have a child who has cerebral palsy. You don't have this hope. You don't have any hope. Yeah. If it's not by this God's purpose, yeah. then there's not any hope. If it's if it's not because of God, if it's because of something that we do, right? Then we've got no hope. Yeah. And again, I think that's why they put that in here. Sure. Because they're battling with that. You, you, you people don't understand it's not about our works. If it were about our works, there's a host of people that have no chance. There's no chance. I mean, think about that. You know, there, what about people that can't think real well? People that can't think at all. People can't speak. People can't see. Can't, you know, um, I think about a lot of, you know, a lot of people that, that I get to love on uh, every week in the facility. They're not capable of hardly communicating at all. But... Um, yeah, they don't have a chance. And so, uh, I think I always, I always say this because I think it was Spurgeon. I read a sermon of his one time about that. And Spurgeon said he just determined that uh, the only babies God allowed to die were elect babies. That way, he didn't have it. Like, All infants that die are elect. So, yeah. But, you know, and hey, again, I. I don't think, I mean, that's your, if you, that's what you think, then think that. But what he was saying was, I just, uh, again, I believe God is so gracious and wise um, and just that this is, the, this is the way I can keep him just in my mind. But again, I mean, God is going to do what uh, is right and, and what needs to be done regardless. But, but that's a very tough, um, that's a very tough subject. And uh, people, and understandably, in the midst of those kind of trials, people are very touchy about it. And um, but you know, I've had people ask me the same thing about grown people. Well, I mean, I need to know if he's if he's in heaven. I don't know. And um, you know, I try to be careful. I mean, sometimes we're all guilty. Or I'm guilty of it, like many people, of saying I, I know something about somebody I really don't know. I mean, I can see f- fruit that I'm able to judge what good that is. But, you know, I've also seen people I thought was A-OK, and then we've been shocked by people sometimes. Like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they did that. I guess they're not what I thought they were. But, you know, um, again, I think that's why it's so important. Our, our job is to preach the gospel, which is about God. And um, that's the only thing we know for sure. Well, anyway, any questions about that part? That's the most, that's one of the difficult areas. Yeah, that's right. And then you go on to this next one, because this is where it really gets tough, too. Those who are not elected will not 
will not and cannot truly come to Christ and therefore cannot be saved because they are not effectually drawn by the Father. Now this is, that sentence right there, be hard to survive in most churches if you just said that you believe that. Because Jesus even said that. Though. Yeah. He said it out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You cannot hear me because you are not of my flock. Right. And all who the Father sends to me will come to me. Yeah. And all that come to me, I will know us cast out. So again, there's places in the Bible, if you're not going to believe this, then you've got to be either a universalist or something else. Because if all who come to Jesus, if all the Father sends to Jesus come to him, and all who come to him he, he keeps and no wise casts out, then you've got to believe either everybody's saved, or there's only some that come to him. And see, there's a lot of this. In fact, I was just, I was just asked this the other day by somebody. Well, everybody gets a chance, right? I mean, ain't that what the Bible says? Everybody gets a chance. No, the Bible don't say that. But now... But the thing is, is uh, the, the joy uh, that you have when uh, you've been able to literally uh, preach uh, the Word and see uh, the, uh, the results, that basically it makes up for all of the... Uh, all of the uh, uncertainty Oh yeah, absolutely. And so what happens is that uh, that is absolutely uh, so. I mean, not that we can take pride in it, but basically, so that literally uh, we can we can say, "Aha, that's what it looks like." Right, or just to see that God is still doing what He said He would do. His word does not return Him void; it accomplishes everything He sends it to do. Um, but this this idea that um, you know, this idea is a hard one to to receive, especially from like most of us, we weren't taught that, um, and we were taught that. Hey, and I've heard preachers say this, and I've probably said it myself, that at some point, every single person on the planet will get a chance to either accept or reject Christ. And okay, if you're meaning that the gospel is going to be preached over the whole world, now that's scriptural. If you're believing that. God has given everybody the same chance and it's up to each individual to be saved or not saved. Um, I don't think that's scriptural. I mean, it's just not. But, now again, I don't have to stand up and preach this way that uh, if you're elect, then come to Christ. You, you will come to Christ. If you're not, no good, no use in you even listening to me. Because here's the thing, nobody knows who they are and who they're not. You know, and I don't know who they are and who they're. I don't know who's elect and who's not. And people don't know till they're, till God does the stuff in the first two sections. So, you know, it's it's one of the things that these settings are perfect and great to talk about these things. Not that I would shy away from it if it if it comes in the text and it and it needs to be said and preached. But because, like I said, effectually drawn by the Father, that's Scripture. And if I was in John chapter six, I might would say these things. Um, but, you know, we, we're so ingrained, it's been so ingrained in us to believe about that man's free choice can trump God's choice. That people hear that and say, well, if you tell people that, then they won't never come to Christ. Well, you're not, you're not really understanding what I'm saying here. Because I'm saying they absolutely will, if they can. Because that's what the whosoever wills in the Bible are about. 
whosoever will come can come. The other side of that, and the reason this paragraph was probably put in there, was because there, not everybody who goes to church or claims religion or Christ is of. No, absolutely. I never knew you. I never knew you. Yeah. Well, I was trying to find this uh, quote. This thing won't let me highlight or nothing. um, Who warned you of the judgment to come? As the Pharisees were walking up to him. Right. And I don't know, Jason, you, and, um, y'all may be able to, I don't know that Jesus ever really shared the gospel with the Pharisees anywhere in Scripture. <clears throat> well, I mean, I think when, at times when he talked about his, uh, his plight, that he was going to live and die, and most of the time I think he's talking to his disciples. Mm-hmm. But... Um, I think that there's. A, I think he did a lot of preaching. Obviously, it's not recorded. I mean, John said oh, yeah, if he'd right, done there, right. if everything was written down, there's not enough books to contain it. Sure. So I think there's a lot of that wasn't recorded because some of these people that he heals, for example, he talks about your faith has healed you. Well, why did they believe in him? Right. I think they had already heard him preach, or had heard John the Baptist preach, or so, you know, whatever. However, God chose to bring them faith. Um, whoa! How did I do that? Hold on, man. You have Mary and Martha. And Martha's <laughs> doing things. But basically, uh, it says that Mary had the uh, uh, had the right stance when she was listening and he was teaching. Right. Oh, yeah, she was the other and they're being hostess. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The thing is that, uh, uh, I mean, all that Mary did was just sit at his feet. But the thing is that uh, you know he applauded her for uh, what she was doing. Listening, yeah. yeah. And so he t- he he did a lot of teaching. Absolutely. I just um, had this and then I clicked off of it. I hate this little thing. Um, let me keep uh, reading. We'll keep talking about it. Man, that makes me upset. Maybe I didn't need to read it to y'all. I looked up and I hit a button and it went. I don't know where it went to. Um, well, it must be destined that we weren't going to. That's right. Y'all weren't going to understand it anyway. If you believe in sovereignty, it's it's over. There it is, right there. Can we go over Matthew twenty-two fourteen? Yes. <laughs> yes. Whatever. The, uh, give me just a second. That's amazing. Just disappeared. <sighs> well, um. Let's see. Is that one of the many your calls you were chosen? Matthew twenty-two fourteen. Well, I think that reason that's there. You asked me what what does that mean exactly? Mm-hmm. I think the reason it's there in that in that uh, section 
is because um, this is the this is what I was talking about the difference between a general call and an effectual call. Many are called, but only a few are chosen through the effectual calling of God. Because um, so many were, will hear the gospel, but it won't. Really. Yeah, but it yeah. Won't. what it says is that, uh, that they won't have ears to hear. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if you look back up there and uh, after. The first sentence is the only one I've read. The second sentence says, They may even be called by the ministry of the word and receive some ordinary working of the spirit without being saved. Mm-hmm. And that's what, you know, like uh, I know they cite Judas as an example. Right. He followed. Um, and how many more heard Jesus call? Um, well, there were 70 that went away at some point in time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And many went away in John 6. Right. Flocks of them. Um, and that was what I was trying to find to read to you was this quote from one of the, one of the old Baptist uh, preachers long ago. He was talking about that very sentence because this idea that um, I think somebody was saying everybody in church is not necessarily saved. Right. And you got a Hebrews chapter 6. It's a very difficult passage. Um, and it, I think it's listed right there, Hebrews 6, 1 and 5. Um, and again, this is why we have to be so careful about talking about works rather than faith and belief in Christ because um, they may even receive some ordinary working of the Spirit without being saved. Taste of, tasting of the Spirit, Hebrews 6 says. Once they've um, once even been enlightened and tasted the heavenly gift and shared in the Holy Spirit in some way, and I think that's just, I think it's a beautiful, wonderful picture of a lot of what we see. People come to church and they do stuff and they get involved and, and you're thinking, man, and they might even get baptized. They may participate in Lord's Supper, all those things. But again, and, and I want to be careful because I've preached this in the wrong way before because I don't think we're supposed to live in constant fear. Am I saved or not saved? But I think, I think we're supposed to rest in Christ. But what we're not supposed to rest in is the outward manifestations more than the reality of who Christ is and what he's done. And it so, seems, seems like from the Hebrews passage that basically the situation is that, uh, no, not, not Hebrews, uh, the 1st Timothy, uh, that basically what, uh, what you have to do is uh, you have to make sure of your salvation but it's not something that you can uh, that you can know from the outside but basically the situation is that uh, you you will I mean he will give you uh, assurance of salvation uh, and basically the situation is though that you can't uh, just Well, that's an interesting thought, and of course, now I may see this differently um, than some people, but when the Bible says, I think the verse you're talking about says, make your calling and election sure, yeah. uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Or if you just a second, you know, I'm not, I don't want to go that far. <laughs> yeah, but I, I see that as um, law and things that we really can't do, yeah. but things that if if we're when we do try to do those things, we're always brought back to Christ. Because if I'm working out my salvation, I realize I it's just futile. Yeah. I understand that, but I'm just saying that 
But I do believe that the Spirit does, through us looking to Christ, He does give us rest and peace. Right. And like John said, all these things have been written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. That we can't hold on to Him. He's got to hold on to us. Yeah. And so the situation is that uh, uh, at some point in time, you've got to just literally rest in Jesus. Yes. Uh, we, we, so have this, we have this concept I think has been taught to us in church from young age that what we are to learn we're supposed to pass out to others. We're supposed to pass up and give it. And I think there's a lot of what we're learning right here. Like you said, you can't really pass this along unless it's in the right context, but you can go home and you can rest in that. You can praise God in your mind and in your heart and your spirit for this, what he's done in your life. So it's it's really this knowledge is for us to worship him in a more deeper All right, and when you have when you have Paul, uh, when he does the uh, greetings to the churches, what he says is grace and peace. Uh, and basically the situation is you're only going to get that peace uh, right. from uh, a, uh, a, a settled mm -hmm. uh, uh, acknowledgement. Well, and, and I don't know if you were <clears throat> quoting what Paul said to Timothy about take these things you've learned and, and then pass them on to faithful men that they might teach others also. Well, but that's, um, yeah. I think that's just the things like we're doing right here, the doctrines sure. of who Christ is, yeah. Sure. And, um, but no, it's more of this, what I was thinking about is more of this, you know, make sure you preach that, preach the gospel to everybody you see. And it's, I think some of these things that we learn, that we go, we, they're for us to know Christ in a deeper sense. Some, yeah. I, well, I think, yeah, I think all scriptures, I mean, all scriptures written to the church. I mean, nobody else can understand it, right. you know. And so, um, I mean, there's really nothing in the Bible written to people who are, don't belong to God. Now, the gospel. Hide it in a corner. That's yeah. not what I'm saying. Because even the gospel's for us. Yeah. But at the same time, there's there's something in this truth that affects me in such a way that I can praise God in a, in a more meaningful way because I understand Him through this. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a peaceful doctrine. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've said this in prayer. I got saved so many times, you know, once you recognize that doctrine, once you recognize that truth, the way the way that he's worked that truth out and worked it through you and how you came to that process of recognizing it, then it's pretty freeing, isn't it? It's very freeing. It's just very freeing. And yeah. even if even if I end up in hell, which God, I hope not. I don't think so. I hope not. But it it's that's that's where I deserve to be. And if I end up in heaven, then it's by his grace. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, just so, it's just so. Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah. Uh, uh, these things were written so that you may know, not guess, not hope, not wish, but that you know you have eternal life. And so yeah. the situation is that there, there has to be 
a point in time where you literally have settled this thing. But the thing is that uh, what you've got to do is you've got to keep uh, in mind that basically you can't rely on you and your works. Or feelings uh, and emotions. Or your emotions. But basically the situation though is though, that we do have an assurance. That's true, I contest that. An assurance that we are apart yeah and and even that though has to come from god you know and and i th- i thought about that passage earlier first john 5 13 but first john 5 1 says whosoever believes that jesus is the christ is born of god and everyone that loves him um the one that begot him loves him also is begotten of him so those things that have been written to us is about our belief in christ mm-hmm. and that's what Settles it, and God just keeps settling that. And I think every time we come back to Him, um, and, and again, I think that's, and, you know, these are things that people can hash out, but I think that working out your salvation of fear and trembling and that uh, idea is the fear and trembling is just like what Nicole just said. Now, that's, a, that's, a, that's a quite a reality to say if I went to hell, it's because I deserved it. But if I go to heaven, it's because I didn't deserve it. Because that's where we all are. But that kind of stuff is what brings you assurance because this really is not about what I can do and can't do. And not only that, but I can't undo it. And if it's done, uh, you know, we've we, we made people believe that when you're born again, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But if I read the scripture right, those whose names were not written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world, it doesn't happen that it's been happened. Like you've, your name's been written in the book. It's not like when you got saved, God wrote it down. It's been written, and um, there's nobody can erase that. But uh, I didn't. Y'all didn't let me finish reading this, and it's time to go. Um, much less can any be saved who do not receive the Christian religion, no matter how diligently they live their lives according to the light of nature and the teachings of the religion they profess. Now, that's an amazing statement. Number one, if you don't realize that, that is the exclusivity of Christ and the Christian religion. So they were going in the face of everything at the time, and they were saying, hey, it don't matter if you receive the Christian religion. I mean, if, you, if you've lived your life according to all these teachings and religion, no matter which religion you profess, if you haven't received the Christian religion, even if you've heard it, but God hasn't given you this ability to receive it, um, you're not going to be saved. And like I said, they um, they were intent and intentional in writing these things out to make sure that they separated themselves from every other belief system and every other religion. Because Christianity is the only religion that does not require men to do something to get to God. I mean, it really is the only one. And yet, we've spent 2,000 years trying to make Christianity a religion that men have to do something to get to God. <laughs> and it's not. So we need to quit messing it up. But um, anyways, effectual calling is, is an awesome thing. Awesome, awesome. When I, when I learned this and started reading and studying about it, it's like a long way. Because it also is freeing when you're a preacher and you realize... 
I preach the gospel, and God calls people. You know, now I call people to faith. I call people to Christ, but I can't awaken people from the dead and bring them to life. God does that, um, and that's that's the beauty of what He does. And if Christ calls you from death to life, guess what? You will come to life. Like like the old uh, preachers used to say about Jesus calling. Uh, Lazarus forth from the grave. If he wouldn't have said Lazarus, everybody would have come out of the grave. Because when he said come forth, you come forth. And so this idea that we somehow can thwart God's plan and reject him and frustrate him is, is a ridiculous idea about God to begin with. Because we're not capable of doing that. Thank the Lord. Or we would. Right. Because we... Uh, from our mother's womb, we have gone astray, and uh, we continue to do so apart from grace. Any parting words or anything else? Well, um, I'm good then. What do we have next? Is it justification? It is. Justification. Alrighty. Well, I'm going to say a quick prayer and then y'all can dismiss. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the calling that is upon all of us because we are um, followers of Christ. And um, no matter what the journey has been like, the fact that you brought us to your son is just amazing and awe-inspiring and we're so grateful for it that you put all of us together in this room like this to, uh, at this time is, is something. Um, with all the paths that we've been on and the different roads we've traveled, and yet we're here tonight talking about you and your son and how uh, he has saved us and um, saved us by the same amount of power that raised him from the dead, and uh, it will one day raise us from the dead, and um, we're just grateful for it all. In Jesus' name, amen.